Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Strength in Recovery podcast. We're dropping this episode one day early on this very important Thursday in honor of Overdose Awareness Day. This is a global event held every year on August 31st. It's the largest campaign of its kind, and the purpose is to help prevent drug overdoses by raising awareness, reducing stigma, and recognizing the grief of those who have lost loved ones to overdose. The RCA alumni team has lost many friends and family members to the disease of addiction. This work is very personal to us, and today can be a day filled of mixed emotions as we honor the lives of those we've lost and we do our best to help those still suffering from drug or alcohol abuse. As we reflect today on those we've lost, and as we head into September, which is National Recovery Month, we want to emphasize the importance of connection during this time. RCA's alumni team is hosting free sober events all throughout September that prioritize acts of service, as well as bring our communities together to celebrate those on the path of recovery. In addition, we host recovery meetings and educational webinars. There's something going on every day of the week to encourage connection, both in person and virtually. We encourage alumni, family, and friends to tap into these resources and learn more on our website, rcaalumni.com. If you or anyone you know is struggling, don't hesitate to give us a call at 1-833-RCA-ALUM. This disease is treatable and there is hope. We thank all of you for listening and joining us on Overdose Awareness Day. Please enjoy our episode with today's guest, Indianapolis Alumni Coordinator and Recovery Centers of America alumnus, Sam Scheib. Listeners, welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Rodenbush, the Director of Alumni Engagement for Recovery Centers of America. Today, we are at our Indianapolis facility, and I'm sitting down with our alumni coordinator. His name is Sam Scheib, and um, just wanted to um, have a conversation and, and introduce him to our alumni community um, with being on Strength and Recovery Podcast. So welcome, Sam. Thank you. Um, Tell us a little bit about what life is like as an alumni coordinator. Um, It's really exciting. Um, I'm I'm, I'm honestly, when I say this, that uh, I I think I have the best job in the building. Um, And the ability to be with uh, people and individuals trying to start this journey of recovery um, and being a part of the path from the very beginning um, as they walk in through the doors of RCA, um, as they progress through the detox and into the residential stages uh, and seeing, you know, kind of the color return to their, their skin and the light in their eyes kind of starting to glow. Uh, and, then, and then following that journey and that process to once they discharge and being able to be a connection 
a point of contact, a resource, um, somebody to be with them, uh, you know, not only when they first start their journey, but as they leave and, and put in, start to put in the real work um, in this new way of living. Well, that's awesome. And um, so everyone knows Sam is hosting our men's big book study. That's on Monday nights. Uh, what time? At 7. 7, seven Eastern, Eastern time. Standard time. And um, if you are someone looking for a men's big book study, um, I, we are just getting amazing feedback from that. It's virtual, so people come uh, from all of our facilities, so East Coast, Chicago, Indianapolis, and they log on and just get a chance to be together and break that down right yeah so i i am uh i was not a fan of the big book originally it's a very tough pill it's a very tough book to swallow initially um and i tried to break it down and read it myself um and as i've learned um every time i try and do something myself i usually uh, i'm not very successful and when i finally had the courage to reach out for help and ask uh, another individual to walk me through that book and show me what it actually is saying. Um, I learned a whole lot more uh, about this program and what recovery was and what life really looks like when I you know, start this new journey. Um, and I like to do the same thing for other people because you know, um, I was taught you know, one of the most selfish things I could do was not to pass along the gift that was so freely given to me. Um, so breaking down that book and showing uh, you know, not only people early on, new to recovery, people with some time, um, but really diving into what it actually says, uh, what it says and what it doesn't say, and, and then, you know, having a conversation about it, getting your feedback, getting, you know, other people's feedback so, you know, we can learn and grow from one another. Um, Tell us a little bit about, you said you weren't a fan of the big book, so you had a reaction. What, what was it that was so, that turned you off so much? Yeah, so I, I immediately, um, I didn't like the book and I never opened the pay, uh, opened the front cover. Um, you didn't, uh, you, you had no experience with it? Zero experience. I had already made up in my mind that it, it wasn't going to work for me and it was um, based off my first experience kind of going into treatment. Um, I saw those steps up on the wall and there were certain steps and there were certain words and that God word stood out to me um, and, I, and I had this um, preconceived notion going into things that... I was very angry with God, and um, if this program told me I had to use that God to be successful, then this program wasn't for me. So um, I hadn't really spoke to anybody. I hadn't worked with any counselors or anything like that. Um, I had already made up my mind prior to even um, asking any kind of questions or even opening the book. There's, there's a passage in the book about that, right? Yeah. Contempt. Contempt. So it's my favorite one. It's the bar against all argument, um, and, it, and it will keep a person in an everlasting ignorance. And it's contempt prior to investigation. Um, I made up say, my mind. Say that again. Slow down and like so, say that. What does so that mean to you? To me, contempt prior to investigation. Like I've already made up a mind based off, uh, not based on fact or reason. Or, or, or experience, right? I had no ex experience and I had no facts on it. And, and that contempt prior to me actually looking into what it meant to me, right? Diving into what it meant to me personally, investigating my own feelings and thoughts on it. I had used other people's conceptions and ideas and thoughts of what this was to make up, you know, supposedly my own 
uh, which in reality hindered me for many years. Um, you know, that talks about the three uh, right before that contempt prior to investigation. It talks about the three indispensable principles of the program, which is honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. It's the how of why it works, right? How do I do this? Well, I stay honest, I stay open, and I stay willing. Um, and that contempt prior to investigation, I wasn't willing to be honest with myself or anyone else. I wasn't open to any new ideas, and there was no way I was going to do something unless it was my idea uh, and as I've learned, and maybe many of you have learned, that when it's my idea, things usually don't play out very well. So talk us, take us back to what was life like before you opened that big book, before you did your own investigation. Um, so life was just chaos, actually. Um, you know, kind of running back, like growing up through childhood and everything like that, like I had experienced a, a very, a, you know, I... I knew there was love in the house, but it was just very different. Um, and, uh, you know, childhood trauma, uh, overweight, um, kind of uh, mental health issues as well along the way, um, a lot of depression, not necessarily understanding what was going on. Um, I was a people pleaser. I needed you to know that, or I needed you to tell me that I was doing well. So I needed external factors to let me know internally I was doing well. Um, and I would do, and I found myself doing things um, that went against my code, uh, went against my morals to make sure other people were pleased with me um, because I didn't really ever look internally for any kind of self-worth or value, confidence, uh, really kind of self-love. Um, and when I, uh, uh, I lost my mother at uh, 18 years old, um, she was about the only coping skill that I really knew in life. Um, she was the one person that I was allowed to go to to talk about my feelings and emotions, and I wasn't judged or punished because of it. Uh, and when she passed away, um, it was a uh, it was literally a matter of days after her funeral that um, in college, uh, my roommate was like, "Man, we're we're just upset. You know, we're upset that you're upset. You know, come out and have a good time." I was introduced to alcohol for the first time, and uh, uh, I drank alcoholically from the first time I picked up a bottle. Um, they, they handed me a bottle, and I, I said, what do I do with this? I was naive. Um, I really had no background on alcohol. Come to find out, like, my, you know, on my dad's side of the family, alcohol, uh, alcoholism runs deep. Um, I'm the oldest of four boys. Three of us all have addiction issues, addiction to mental health issues. Um, I believe it's five out of my seven cousins, or eight cousins on that side also have addiction issues that we were never allowed to talk about and that we hid and covered everything I, up. I think it's unusual to hear, like somebody makes it to 18 and, and they have no experience with alcohol. Yep. So... How does that happen, and and what what were what were you told about alcohol in your younger years that stands out? Um, so I was actually I remember um, it was crazy. It's weird, right? The Dare program coming through yeah. um, when I was in <laughs> school, which is hilarious. But um, I was actually the kid that didn't. You know, I had a lot of friends that that drank and smoked pot in, in middle school and high school, um, and I didn't disassociate with them. Um, I just I was the one that was trying to be there to help them and support them, um, which is, looking back at it now, ironic. Um, but it was also at the time when I was at my lowest, um, and I had no answer, and I had given up hope, and I had lost hope. 
um, and I was offered a bottle, um, and when I, when I drank that bottle, um, my worries went away. Um, and what do you think the role of grief played? Um, or, yeah, I would say um, lack of being willing, or, you know, I spent many years in the grief process in the denial phase that it had actually ever happened, and I spent a lot in the anger phase as well. Um, but alcohol prevented me from actually grieving. It prevented me from grieving or from feeling. Delayed it. Delayed it. Uh, 20 years delayed it. Wow. Um, before I actually did the work to process uh, not only my mother's death, I had other family members die as well um, that were close to me. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, when I thought it was solving my problems, it was actually intensifying, right? When I thought I was treating my anxiety and depression with drugs and alcohol, I was actually intensifying them. I was making them worse. And it, it's just, it's the most powerful disease. It's the most powerful thing in my life that I've ever underestimated this much. Like, I underestimated its ability and what it was doing to me for so long. Um, because I think many of us can relate that have an addiction issue. Like... I would be a liar if I sit here, sat here and told you at some point, like, it worked. Like, it did for me what I could not do for myself until it didn't, until it stopped, until it turned its back on me and I would wake up every morning hoping my best friend would work again and then it didn't. And I'd wake up the next day hoping my best friend would be there with me and it wasn't. And when you say your best friend, you mean... Drugs and alcohol. It, it was my go-to. Um, it had become the answer to all my problems. So how did that one drink, that one night, turn into drugs and alcohol? Um, a progression. Um, at that point, um, I did not... Um, so, for many years prior to drugs and alcohol, I could not quiet my mind. My mind constantly raced. Um, it was constantly in angst and worry and, and anger and fear. I could never shut it down. And the alcohol worked, it, it quieted it. And then as, and with, you didn't even have to tell me what I was taking at some, at, at one point in my addiction, if you told me it was gonna change or alter my state of mind, I didn't know what it was, I didn't need to know what it was. I was willing to do it because my thoughts uh, were such a scary place to be in um, that if you told me it was going to change the way I was thinking and I was feeling, anything had to be better than the way I was feeling. So I was willing to pretty much do anything. Um, if you put it in front of me and said it was it was going to work, I believed you. Um, so how did college go? How did life start? Um, so in college, um, you know, I, I went on a full ride um, to University of Indianapolis on academic and athletic scholarships. I played baseball there. Um, you know, I, I kind of had the world in front of me. Um, in the moment, um, drugs and alcohol were introduced. All my all my hopes and dreams um, were thrown out the window. Um, I ended up quitting baseball um, because drugs and alcohol were more important. Um, I ended up dropping out of school because drugs and alcohol were more important. Um, I had a very uh, I had a girlfriend at the time that drugs and alcohol became more important. Um, and basically for the next seven to eight years, um, my life was centered around the consumption and use of drugs and alcohol. Um, 
if I had an event, I needed to know how long it was going to be, I needed to know where it was, and I needed to know how much I needed to either consume before, during, and after. Um, every thought process I had was planned around the consumption of drugs and alcohol. Um, during this time, though, um, it is my belief, like my, my God, my higher power, put people in my life at that time. Um, early in, um, about three years into my addiction, um, I met a girl um, at a party um, that I wasn't planning on going to. I had no intention at all of finding any kind of relationship. I had the only relationship I wanted with drugs and alcohol. Um, and I met a girl one night um, who I'm now married to. Um, so I can look back and see even in the worst of times that, you know, there was something bigger in my life acting, knowing that, um, she was put into my life at that time, uh, because I don't think I'd be here without her. I know I wouldn't be here without her. Um, she has been my biggest support. She's been by my side and she's seen the very worst of me. Um, and I hope to continue to show her here recently what the very best looks like. That's great. Um. Also through that time, um, I have we've had uh, two children. Um, I have a son uh, and a daughter that are extremely important to me. Um, this program, this new way of living, life of recovery, has given me an opportunity not only to be uh, extremely active in their lives. Um, I'm now the head coach of uh, my son's baseball team. Um, 22 other parents trust me with their 11 kids for two hours three times a week. Um, Talk to me a little bit about parenting and recovery. How do you talk to your kids? Um, like you, you said, you know, yeah. we, we talked about your childhood just briefly, and I asked you, what was the conversation about drugs and alcohol growing up in your house? And it sounds like there wasn't a whole lot. No. And so are you doing anything differently? Yes. Um, so, like... The more I've opened up about my childhood, the more on uh, the amends process and I've opened, and my dad and I's relationship growing, um, it, it's like, I, you know, I wasn't allowed to speak on it. Like we, I grew up in a home that um, if there was a problem in the house, you put a smile on your face and you didn't talk about it when you left. And if you did, there was consequences, um, which came actually from my grandmother. Um, and, you know, my dad has shared stories on his father and, and my dad you know did better than his dad and, and the goal is that you know I will do better than you know give my son a better life than what I had and yeah my son is 11 and I have started um, conversations about um, what alcoholism and drug addiction is um, I've spoke to him about that I am an alcoholic and I've talked to him about that what that means and it was a very emotional first conversation because I, I will never forget it. My son, I told my son that I was an alcoholic and he busted out in tears and said, no, dad, please don't let that be true. And it just shows the stigma, the misinterpretation of, yeah, you know, I, I won't sit here and say I, I did a lot of, you know, I did a lot of things that I, I'm not happy or proud of. Um, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Um, because because of those things, I'm able to do things today that I never dreamt possible. And one is having this 
being able to be open with my son, um, to having these open conversations. Um, so how does he understand alcoholism today? So if he said, his first reaction was, that can't be, yeah. how does he understand it now? So I think it's, you know, it's, we'll go into deeper conversations the older he gets. Um, but it, it was more of, a, of an understanding, like, um, don't judge a book by the cover. Um, and we've used it as far as like kids in his school and not that, you know, and, you know, dad, I don't know why he does this. And it's like, well, we don't know what's happening in that child's life, right? We don't understand what's going on with them. And to be honest, it usually has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what's going on with them. Um, and trying to have an open mind of like, hey, how can I best help rather than being, getting upset. Um, coming from a place of understanding rather than a place of judgment. And to understand that alcohol does something different to you yeah. and how it affects your brain differently. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, and I told him, uh, you know, it wasn't my, you know, in my intent. Um, we, we live in a society where, you know, alcohol is promoted. Um, it's said to have a good time. And, I, and, you know, when I first started drinking, I saw everybody else drinking. How did I know that that one drink would hit me different than someone else and it would activate a chain reaction not only in my mind and in my body that would cause me to pursue more, more, more. When, when someone else has two to three, four drinks and they go, this is getting out of control, I don't like the way I feel. When I take three to four drinks, I go, I'm in control. I'm now, I'm now able to do things that I wasn't able to do. I'm now, I'm no longer shy. I can talk to people. Um, I, you know, I know how to laugh and have fun. Like that, you know, it did for me what it, what I couldn't do for myself. Um, and that instant gratification feeling of wanting that more and more and more. Uh, and that drive of, of then it leading to me doing things I never dreamed I would do to make sure I could have those drugs and alcohol. Um, that progression where the, the kid right next to me at the same party had the same amount that I did that night and he said no I don't you know I don't know that's for me or he was able to do it just for the weekend and then it doesn't disturb the rest of his week or school or work or family or anything how do I know that that was going to affect me this is not as a child what I looked at my life to be I did not say I can't wait to have that first drink and become an alcoholic and an addict and do all these things and not only hurt myself but hurt other people I don't think that's not I, none of us grew up going this is this is exactly what I want this is the path that I want my life to go now did you you said you know you knew almost instantaneously when you had that drink that this was something yeah. different that this yeah. this was an answer you said yeah. Was it similar when you tried drugs for the first time? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, each... I remember the use, my first use of each drug, very specifically. And that he, um... Um... Kind of that feeling uh, of ecstasy, almost enlightenment, that, that, that rush. Um, oh my gosh, um, I love it when... Bill and his story in the big book says it's the I have arrived moment that moment where it's like ah oh, I have found the answer to life like I will now be good as with the rest of my life as long as I have this substance like this has now become my new solution 
Um, and I think as many of us know, like that solution wears away. It takes more and more to get there. Um, and for me personally, then I started combining and mixing and trying to come up with, you know, different concoctions that was going to get me to that feeling again. Um, it's that, uh, you know, in the book where it tells us, we'll chase us to the gates of insanity or death. Why, why am I willing to go that far to chase it to the gates of insanity or death? Because it did something for me that I never knew anything could do. Um, until I found this program and until I found uh, what true hope, what true joy, what true happiness, uh, what true help does, what true courage and, 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 and discipline and the perseverance and what we've battled and what we push through to, to earn this, to earn where I'm at today. You know, I was talking last night that you know, I live today, like I live today. I am present today. When I am needed, I am available, I am accountable, and people can rely on me. That gives me the deepest joy and happiness and satisfaction that I never dreamt possible. I pursued happiness through drugs and alcohol and I never found it. I did the work necessary internally on myself, and the byproduct I found is joy and happiness. Um, and it took a lot of courage and a lot of... Um, I lived a fear-based life majority of my life. I was terrified. And my biggest fear was that you would find out that I was afraid. Um, so I would mask it with arrogance and, and pride and, uh, you know, this fake confidence and the different masks that we wear. Um, the biggest thing is that I was more afraid. My insecurity was is that you would find out that I was just a scared little kid that was terrified. Um, and when I placed my dependence upon something bigger than myself, when I've placed my dependence on something else other than myself, I found, I find and I tap into this inner resource that I never knew was there, and I become independent. My brain never registered that, that I was going, that I would become independent by placing my dependence upon something bigger than myself. That didn't make sense to me. That concept was beyond my understanding. Um, I... I've never got to a place now where I've been able to, I've never felt this before. I've never been in this position before. I've been trying to, my first detox was in 2009. I was in 20 plus, 20 plus detoxes. I lost count between 2009 and 2015. I started my residential treatments after that. Um, because of the pursuit of drugs, the way I did, um, I had several mental health uh, facility stays as well. Um, I, to be honest, don't know how many I went to. Um, and I, and I've, I've had some time before in the past. I've had a year, I've had two years. I finally got in that time period. Though, so the, the question I asked and the question I was always asked, well, what's different this time? And I hated that question because I didn't know what the answer was. The answer for me this time is that I understand that life does not change. I thought when I got sober that life was going to change, that life was going to be rainbows and unicorns and everything was going to be great. That was not my experience. Especially in early recovery, life actually got a whole lot harder. 
I still had consequences when I left treatment. I still had stuff I had to face. I still had the wreckage of my past and the damage I'd done to others. Life actually got harder when I went into early recovery. It's, I think it's supposed to. Because when I put the work in and I recognize that life doesn't change, life actually will continue to throw more and more curveballs at me. The difference is, is that I've changed now. That, I'm, that I've recognized that the common denominator in all my problems was me and that my, my disease lies in my mind and that my thinking is what needs to change. My thought process is what needs to change. Not the world. You know, not, not the problems, not life. My approach, my, pers- my perspective to these things and how I perceive people in life is what needs to change because that was the problem. It talks about getting to the causes and conditions of, of why I drink and used. Drinking and using was our solution. It was not the problem. It's what I used to solve all my problems. So what are the causes and conditions? Well, my inability to handle my emotions, my feelings, my my anger, my anger, you know, as a secondary emotion stemming from all the fears that I have. Like, this is the stuff I needed to get down to the causes and conditions. This is the thinking that I that needed to change, and this is the work that I needed to have done. I really love the program. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm 12-step of Alcoholics Anonymous um, because it teaches me how to have relationships which is what life is about. They tell us connection is recovery. I didn't believe that for the longest time. I didn't want to connect to anybody. I wanted to stay isolated and alone because it was comfortable. It was miserable, but it was comfortable. I knew exactly how my day was going to play out, and I was good with being miserable. Talk to me about what gave you the courage to walk in the front doors of RCA Indianapolis. Um... Uh, my wife gave me the, the greatest gift. Um, and she did it in such a way that I knew it was unconditional love. And she was protecting herself and our kids. And she, Sam, she said, Sam, I'm not coming to get you. Not, not coming to get you. Um, and I spent majority of my life um, more afraid of living than dying. And in that moment, she gave me the opportunity that I've never had. I'm, I have felt helpless and I have felt alone. I felt the most alone in that moment. And I'm extremely grateful for what she did. And that one, she stood up for herself. And two, she gave me the opportunity to fight for my own life for probably the first time in a long time, if ever. Um, I don't know if I necessarily wanted to be sober when I walked through the doors but I knew wholeheartedly deep down that it was the first time that I didn't want to die. Um, And that's the groundwork. That was the bedrock in which I was able to build a foundation and grow off of. Um, RCA um, was there for me. Um, All other places had turned me down. Uh, It was the only option to go to. They were the only ones willing to accept me because of all of my uh, past. And uh, they loved me before I loved, I loved myself. Um, there were counselors, there were... Do you have any... You walk around this building, everyone greets you, everyone loves Sam. Do you have any spots 
when you walk through this building that you say, okay, there's something happened. Yeah, so, yep, there's two of them. Um, so one is room 250. Um, and it was when I was here, it was the Inspire group. Um, uh, and it was a group that day um, led by uh, one of the group, or the Pez, um, Matt. Um, and it was the first group that I came out of, or it was the first time, first group I went to that I came out of detox on. Um, he gave me hope that I hadn't had in a long time. I told him how horrible I was doing. And he said, yeah, me too. Been there. Mm. He didn't hype it up and make me feel different. And freak out, and make you know, you need, you need extra attention. Or you just, I was a human being in that moment, um, and I felt love and I felt care that I was cared for. Um, another, um, I was having a panic attack in the middle of the hallway, and um, one of the nurse practitioners noticed. And she, she called me to the side and um, she walked, she kept, she helped me through the panic attack and the breathing, but also like she took the time to put together a playlist of music and sat with me and her, I couldn't speak at the time. I was, and she put together a playlist of about 27 songs that I couldn't even remember names to. I'm throwing out lyrics and just, and she's Google, you know, finding the whole, she took the 40, 40 plus, maybe an hour, you know, to sit with me and to play this music that, again, it was probably the first panic attack I've ever processed and made it through without picking up over. Yeah. It gave me proof and evidence that I could do it, that there was hope, that I didn't have to turn to a substance to solve my problems. You know, maybe the maybe the substance would have solved it in, in a, you know in four minutes, right? And then then it would have reoccurred, and we're back to the same insanity in that process. That that her solution, right, took more time. But the reward at the end of it was far greater than any instant gratification I could ever get from a drug or, or a drink or a drug. Like, it showed me that yeah, although it was very uncomfortable, I didn't like how I felt, it was not a fun process. It was also one that I could do. Mm-hmm. And it was also one that I could do with help. And that there were people that actually cared. That when I asked for help or I told people I was doing it wasn't going to be used against me and I wasn't going to be judged. That I was sat with and they're like, hey, we're going to get through this and we're going to get through this together. Somebody's sitting here today, they're listening to this or they have a loved one listening to this. And and they've got this contempt prior to investigation. Uh, maybe they've tried recovery before, they've tried treatment before. I would have, I would encourage you to look internally at what these things really mean to you, not to anybody else. What do they mean to you? Look inside, step into the fear, be courageous, and honestly look internally and say, what does this mean to me? Um, It wasn't until I did that that this stuff started grabbing. It started making more sense. Um, I love the analogy and it's, you know, 
three years I worked um, in my teens, 15, 16, 17, those summers. I worked crazy, two jobs, saved the money. At 18, I bought my first car. And I'll tell you what, that car meant more to me than anything because I had put in the blood, sweat, and tears. I had put in the work. I had put in the, the time. And I took care of that car. The oil, the tires, you know, the right gas in it, polishing it up, vacuuming out, whole nine yards. This recovery is the same thing. It's one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing I've ever done in my, my life. And it's been the most worthwhile because it did take time. It did, did take effort. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. And it's given me a life that I never dreamed possible. The, the work pays off. The, the, the hope it, in... There is hope. There's hope. There's hope, like... It is possible. It is possible. It's more than possible. It's happening every day. I was just always the one that said it wasn't going to happen to me. And that was my disease lying to me. And so, Sam, what's life like now? I always like to be extremely honest. Like, life is life, and it's amazing. Um... And it's painful, and it's um, up, and it's down. And the crazy thing is, is that I wake up every day extremely excited to see what the day has to offer, knowing it could go bad or it could go good, could go well. Excited to wake up. What does the day have in store for me? What do, what do I have in store to offer to life, to my day, to other people? I was a take, a take, take, take. Today is, is, is an opportunity to be there for somebody else because somebody was there for me. And that's how the program works. It's how this has a snowball effect in a positive direction is that when somebody did it for me, I do it for somebody else. And I have no idea to the end of, of, of how far this goes and how far you know, the doing the next right thing um, does in another person's life and then does in another person's life and we get this this chain reaction and, and this 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 snowball effect of positive energy and recovery that people do recover we do recover from a hopeless state of mind and body we lead meaningful purposeful purposeful lives absolutely beautiful thank you so much for sharing your story I think it's full of hope um, I think you got a little fire in you don't you <laughs> you get passionate I get fired about up, this yes. absolutely um, especially when something that I didn't believe in saved my life when I finally again avoided or got rid of the contempt prior to investigation wholeheartedly looked at what this stuff meant to me and then I took the steps um I have to be aware of the problem 25 percent I have to have the knowledge the other 25 percent the most important part though is putting all that into practical application right and taking the actions right to, to do this it's it's an action program I can't think my way into right acting I can act my way though into right thinking 
I do these actions, right, that I start to feel confident, more confident, self-confidence, I get self-worth, I get some self-love in me, and it's like, well, when I start to be able to love myself, I can receive and give love to others, like, that was important for me, you know, when I have self-confidence, like, I'm, I'm, I do esteemable acts um, to gain self-esteem, and when I have self-esteem, then I'm able to have that positive energy transmitted, you know, in, in my actions, in my words, um, you know, and this, and it's infectious, it, it, recovery is infectious, like, I don't know about you guys, but when I went to my first meeting, and I saw these old-timers with multiple years sobriety laughing and joking and having a good time, it didn't necessarily make me happy, it did make me curious, though, they told my story. They had never met me before. They told my story, and they were smiling. I needed to know how they got there. Um, that's why it's attraction rather than promotion. Um, they walk the walk. Their feet match their, their mouth, right? Their words match the actions they were taking, and those are the people that I got close to, I hung on to. They said, stick with the winners, and those people were the winners to me in my book. Um, and the crazy thing is, is like, I wanted to be a good father. So I hung out with men that were a good father. I wanted to be a good employee, right? And I hung around the people that were doing the right thing at work. Um, I wanted to be a good husband. So I hung out around men that treated their wives properly and how I wanted to treat them. The thing is, is like, there's nothing to figure out in this program. It's already been figured out for us. I sat here trying for, to reinvent the wheel for years. The wheel has already been created. It works really well if I'm just willing to take my hands off the wheel, get out of my own way, and do what's suggested of me. It's amazing what will happen when I get out of my own way. We typically end with favorite recovery quote. I know you said attempt, contempt prior to investigation. Yeah, um, Any others? Just from along, it's not it's not typical for me though. Um, never trust your fears; they don't know your strengths. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that wow. Hit home for me. Sam, thanks for sharing your story today. Thank you. It was uh, I'm honored that you asked. Thank you listeners for tuning in. We love having you. If you need help or you have a friend or family member who needs help, please give us a call. 1-833-RCA-ALUM. A-L-U-M. R-C-A-ALUM. There are people standing by willing to help you to provide that hope that recovery is possible. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Strength and Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tap the subscribe button and leave us a review. We love hearing from our listeners and hope to reach more of you out there as we continue to share these incredible stories of recovery. The RCA alumni team aims to provide a safe, supportive environment for those in the recovery community, regardless of their affiliation with RCA. We host a full calendar of virtual and in-person meetings seven days a week, 365 days a year, as well as free sober events 
every month. To learn more about what we do, find us at rcaalumni.com. Remember, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, pick up the phone and dial 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Help is available 24-7. Listen to another episode now or join us next time for the Strength and Recovery podcast.